exploring new ways to treat breast cancer. Experts from Kessler Foundation and Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation came together for a roundtable discussion this past January to address breast cancer-related fatigue and weakness. Our host, Carolyn Murphy, manager for communications at Kessler Foundation, led this discussion. Let's listen in. This special edition podcast focuses on one of today's hot topics, cancer rehabilitation. Joining us are Kessler's experts in the field. For the clinical perspective, we have Dr. Michael Stubblefield and Dr. Ashish Khanna and Tiffany Kendig, PT, cancer rehabilitation specialists from Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. For the research perspective, we have Dr. Guang Yui, Dr. Didier Alexander, and Haya Leibovic from Kessler Foundation. This research team is studying new approaches to the problem of cancer-related weakness in women who have been treated for breast cancer. Angela Smith is here with us. Angela is a participant in the Foundation's breast cancer studies and is herself a research coordinator at Kessler Foundation. Let's start today's podcast by exploring the scope of the problem. Dr. Stubblefield, please share what you've learned about the physical impairments that adversely affect the quality of life among breast cancer survivors. Great, thank you. So yeah, breast cancer is not only the most common cancer type, certainly among women, but even you know more common than prostate cancer, which is the most common for men. It has more impairments that are easily recognizable, I think, by most rehab clinicians than almost any other disorder, say for head and neck cancer. So understanding the complications that result from breast cancer means that you really need to understand the treatment of breast cancer. <clears throat> so a, a typical sort of journey would be that you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you undergo a biopsy that will turn into a lumpectomy and potentially axillary lymph node dissection or a full mastectomy. Uh, if you have a full mastectomy, you're likely to have reconstruction, which can be done any number of ways, where it's a, a tissue expander later with a definitive implant or a flap where they take, say, a part of your abdom, abdomen and the muscle and turn it uh, up to, to recreate the breast mount. Then you're going to receive chemotherapy. And the chemotherapies typically would be adriamycin, which is damaging to the heart, uh, cytoxan, which is not so bad long-term, and then taxol, which is damaging to nerves. We call that ACT chemotherapy. Then you're likely to have radiation therapy, which can cause radiation fibrosis and a lot of long-term effects. So common complications, probably the most common, shoulder dysfunction. As you can imagine, having, having a mastectomy, which damages all the tissues and nerves there, and then doing a reconstruction, uh, particularly with accompanied, you know, accompanied by nerve toxin and radiation, can make your shoulder very dysfunctional. It can be pulled sort of forward. You may not have full range of motion. You can get lymphedema, which is swelling of the arm, the abnormal accumulation of lymph fluid. You can get chemotherapy-induced uh, peripheral neuropathy from the taxol. You can have fatigue, not just from the result of going through this whole thing. We'll talk about this in some detail, but the anthracycline chemotherapy that you receive, the adriamycin, can be damaging to the heart. You can have myocognitive impairment, you know, known to the layperson as chemobrain, uh, again, as a result of traversing, you know, the cancer experience and of the poisons, literally, that we have to get you to get through there. For a lot of patients, 
once they've finished with their primary cancer treatments, the chemo, the radiation, the surgery, they'll go on an aromatase inhibitor, another anti-hormonal agent. The aromatase inhibitors, I, I kind of joke, they're like fibromyalgia in a pill. So they, they inhibit estrogen. Uh, are the effects of estrogen on the cancer, but apparently estrogen is very important to women. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it, and the lack of it can make you feel very achy. You get joint aches. You can get carpal tunnel syndrome. You can get additional shoulder dysfunction from it. Um, I can go on because those are the, the more common, but there's a lot of other minor, you know, body image, uh, you know, emotional sort of health that, that come along with the cancer journey. And, and not so minor. Yeah. Um, Dr. Kano, can you speak to um, the cancer-related fatigue, how this is manifested and how common it is in the breast cancer population? Yeah, sure. So cancer-related fatigue um, is kind of a, a vague overall term, but there have been a couple of people who have proposed different definitions. Um, in general, cancer-related fatigue is considered to be a fatigue that lasts longer than two weeks, but it's something that you... Um, feel every day. It's generally out of proportion to exertion, so you feel very tired after doing something that normally you wouldn't feel as tired um, after doing. Um, it's associated with distress as well as a functional loss, like Dr. Stubblefield was saying. Um, it, of course, has to be associated with cancer diagnosis or cancer treatment. And also, otherwise, it, uh, we also uh, would say that it wouldn't otherwise be explained by a primary psychiatric um, diagnosis, for example, uh, mood disorders like depression, um, other um, you know uh, medical uh, issues like hypothyroidism and um, things like that. Um, as far as how common it is, it's actually the most common side effect of cancer and cancer treatments. In the breast cancer population, studies have shown that it occurs between 60 and 96% of patients during treatment. So that's the majority of patients. Um, and this fatigue can persist for months or years after your treatment um, has been completed. Um, there are a couple of studies um, that have shown that 30% of breast cancer survivors report fatigue one to five years after the diagnosis. So one-third of people, even five years later, are uh, suffering from fatigue. Um, and then a majority, 63% of um, fatigued survivors, continue to report it five or even ten years after their diagnosis. And how do patients describe its impact on their ability to function at home, at work, and in the community? Yeah, so patients generally, you know, they, f they feel fatigued, like I mentioned, uh, out of the ordinary for uh, the tasks that they have to perform on a daily basis. Um, a lot of people who, um, you know, are breast cancer survivors have very active lives. They have a lot of responsibilities um, in their day-to-day -day, um, activities, and uh, they're not able to perform those duties. And, and, and along with not being able to perform those duties, which, of course, is not their fault, they start to feel um, that, you know, somehow they're inadequate, they're unable to, you know, perform what they needed to get done, and uh, that has an emotional toll as well. Angela, you've uh, had this experience. Uh, can you share uh, your thoughts about uh, Dr. Kano's room? Sure. Thanks, Carolyn. Well, I was diagnosed relatively young. I was 40 when I was diagnosed, and it was a um, what's called a triple negative tumor which can be a very highly aggressive and quick-growing tumor. So we had to hit it hard. And like doc Dr. Stubblefield was talking about, it was the ACT treatment of chemotherapy. Um, I had a lumpectomy, kind of slash partial mastectomy, uh, just because of the size. It was a stage two 
almost age three at the point that it was diagnosed. Um, so I had the lumpectomy done, and then I had the, um, I guess, eight rounds of chemotherapy um, over four months. And then I had 30 sessions of radiation after that. And, you know, going into all of it as a young person, relatively active, I was, um, you know, I had a young son who was three. I had uh, a husband with a disability who had a spinal cord injury, so I was helping in caregiving role with him and not expecting to be as fatigued as I was, but it was the acute fatigue of it was very difficult in terms of uh, being able to continue with those roles, and I had a lot of help, thank God. But what I wasn't expecting even more so was the chronic fatigue that exists even now, and it's 10 years. I mean, this January was 10 years since I was diagnosed, and the chronic fatigue that I feel um, it's not as intense as obviously it might have been during that acute phase, but it does come on. Um, the effect that you were talking about, Dr. Subblefield, on the heart, I do feel that. Um, getting winded easily, trying to climb stairs, things that somebody at you know 50 might not experience, that I still feel that. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm getting older, so aging plays a role. So aging with, uh, you know, for a breast cancer survivor, there's an interplay between that. But I do, I definitely feel the effects even 10 years later, um, trying to keep up with my son, trying to, and I'm working full time, you know, trying to keep up with job responsibilities too. Yeah. Dr. Stubblefield, what types of interventions have been shown to be beneficial for cancer-related weakness and fatigue? Great question. So before I answer that, I think one of the important things to understand is, you know, the the role of the physician in cancer-related fatigue is really to make sure nothing else is going on. So this is very much a diagnosis of exclusion. So chemotherapy neuropathy, anthracycline-induced cardiomyopathy, heart failure, um, depression, anxiety obviously need to be excluded or managed, um, hypothyroidism, uh, you know, uh, anemias, right, Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, which can be, there are a number of other diseases that we need to really screen for, make sure the patient doesn't have. So the primary treatment for fatigue in the cancer setting, as opposed to cancer-related fatigue or cancer treatment-related fatigue, is to identify those causes and optimize them. So if somebody has heart failure, for instance, we want to make sure we know about that, even if it's, you know, just mild heart dysfunction, and sort of optimize that patient using medications. After that, the primary treatment's really progressive aerobic exercise. Uh, you know, fatigue in the cancer setting or cancer-related fatigue here can be both central damage to the, to the neurons in the brain and can be a peripheral phenomenon, damage to the muscles and the nerves and how they use, utilize energy. The thing that seems to shock them out of that I say shock, but it's really more a slow, steady pressure out of it, is progressive aerobic exercise. Other medications, you know, using neurostimulants like ProVigil, NuVigil, or Ritalin potentially have some role um, in this setting, but I think most of the studies have really supported exercise as our primary treatment. From, from the therapy point of view, um, I would also second that Physical and occupational therapists often see individuals who come in with a chief complaint of this overwhelming fatigue. Um, we'll often hear them say things like, by the time I get out of bed in the morning, shower and get dressed, I am so exhausted that I need to go back to bed um, and simply can't get through their day. It limits their ability to enjoy time with their families, perform their jobs, um, and can really become debilitating. As Dr. Stubblefield mentioned, there is significant evidence out there that 
um, multimodal exercise, aerobic exercise, resistance exercise um, can have significant and positive benefits for individuals who are affected by cancer-related fatigue. From the therapy point of view, we also would provide several other interventions on top of exercise, um, including postural re-education, ed- energy conservation, so techniques with, um, with scheduling activities throughout the day to maximize endurance, um, and then making sure that from an impairment level there's nothing else going on, as Dr. Stubblefield has mentioned, um, if there is neuropathy, perhaps balance issues that could also make daily tasks more energy expensive and contribute to this problem. Those are areas that therapists can intervene on to help maximize outcomes and really help um, individuals in survivorship get back to living the life that they'd like to lead. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Dr. Yui, uh, tell us about the pilot study that you are conducting in breast cancer survivors on the effect of exercise training on weakness. The study we are doing right now, um, we don't have much result yet, but I, we have done some other pilot studies when we were at Cleveland Clinic. So, so we compared a group of um, uh, cancer survivors with a group of uh, healthy controls, and we found the cancer survivors they were more fatigued, both, you know, uh, the feeling of uh, fatigue and also physical fatigue. And we also found they all were weaker. And the weakness and the fatigue are correlated with the reduction of, uh, this, you know, the amount of central drive to muscles. And uh, those, those cancer survivors and uh, when we ask them to um, con- contract uh, a group of muscles as hard as, uh, as they could, and this, the central signal drive the muscle are always uh, weaker. So that tells us that they, at least, they have a more significant um, central um, signal to drive the muscle to do things. And uh, for that reason, and then we designed this particular uh, NIH-funded study to look at using a, a, a drug-free uh, intervention, just try to activate the central nervous system as much as they can to increase the, 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 the drive from the brain to muscle to see how that affects the, the, the muscle strength or how that uh, reduces the uh, weakness. So the study is ongoing, and uh, we have few subjects data, but I don't know exactly how that data look like. Can you speak to the goal like. of the study? The goal is really just to look at um, uh, exercise that use the brain to drive the muscle, little, very little physical exercise, to see how that uh, can improve muscle strength or reduce the weakness. And also we, we uh, want to look at how you know, that exercise improve or change the brain signal to muscle. So we, 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 we are doing uh, functional MRI, we are doing EEG uh, data recording to analyze to see how uh, after you know, the, the treatment or after the exercise training, how 
the program of you know improve the uh, the brain's ability to generate the signal and how that uh, ability correlate with the, the strength improvement. So a non-pharmacologic approach right, to exactly. this underlying problem that right. you discovered in your trial at the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, that's very interesting. Haya uh, Leibovic is going to speak now about the. Um, who's being recruited for this study. Haya, um, who's eligible for this current study of cancer-related weakness? Okay, so right now we're looking for women who are between the ages of 40 and 75, and we ask that they're six months past any kind of surgery, radiation, chemo, and they completed, if they do have implants, you know, and they had tissue expanders, we'd like to wait until, you know, they're completed with that whole regimen. And we also prefer that they're within about an hour's drive of Kessler Foundation in West Orange, New Jersey. And that is because if they are in the intervention group, then we do have a research assistant that will travel to their home or their office or wherever is convenient so that we can do the one-hour training with them. So I have patients on aromatase inhibitors and tamoxifen. Are they okay for the study? They finished their chemo, but now they're on the hormonal agents. Right. Hormonal agents are totally fine. Okay. Um, we do ask that their medication remain the same within the last four months because we are looking at the effects before the intervention and afterwards. So, you know, we don't want any complicating factors or at least minimize them. But those inhibitors are totally fine. Angela, um, I wanted to uh, see if you could address your experience as a cancer survivor. Um, did you have any cancer rehabilitation? I didn't. Uh, the, the cancer center that I went to, they mm -hmm. offered um, some Tai Chi classes, mm -hmm. uh, but that was about the extent it was there was nothing mentioned about rehabilitation and like i said that was about 10 years ago so it sounds as if that has changed or is starting to change which mm -hmm. is wonderful yeah i wish i had known about it then well we're going to ask dr stubblefield to comment on the growing recognition of the importance of rehabilitation in cancer care yeah thank you yeah it, it's been an interesting journey so i started god 15 17 years ago something like that at sloan kettering and the program there was literally me and maybe half a dozen therapists. <clears throat> we, over time, were able to grow that program into being about 100 therapists, um, 20 support members, five physicians. Uh, and we were really emphasizing outpatient cancer rehabilitation. We took care of the patients in Sloan Kettering Hospital, but our real, real practice was this 22,000 square foot outpatient facility where we're doing, you know, like 25,000 visits a year. And these patients were coming from all over. So you realize this was a tremendous need, but we're kind of landlocked in Manhattan. So my experience there taught me that most places in the country really did not have what we considered a comprehensive cancer rehabilitation. By comprehensive, I mean physician services like myself and Dr. Kana, who can diagnose the cause of your impairment, who can perform injections and give medications and order imaging and interpret the imaging to see what you have and, and why it's affecting you. And fatigue is a perfect example. It's very embarrassing to send somebody for cancer rehabilitation who's hypothyroid and nobody ever noticed, right, when a simple pill would have would have helped them. Um, 
But on the therapy side, it's the same. Not only are a lot of physicians afraid of cancer patients, um, a lot of therapists are afraid. There's, there's this whole vocabulary that goes along with it. Adjuvant therapy, neoadjuvant therapy, what does that mean? And they get really lost and bogged down in that. So we've really taken to trying to provide these comprehensive physician, PT, OT, speech language pathology, in some places neuropsych evaluations, cognitive rehabilitation um, on a very wide scale. And we're really the only ones who are doing it. You'll see little little areas of academic centers, for instance, that will have a cancer rehab program. They may even have a physician and a handful of dedicated therapists, but they're only taking care of their in-house people. Anybody who's treated at a private practice oncology group, and most oncology now is in private practice, have no access to, to that unless they know somebody to get in. And there's some therapists out there certainly doing cancer rehab, but I think the majority of them are honestly lymphedema therapists. And and we're pretty good at that. You can generally find lymphedema therapists in most metropolitan areas, certainly. But that doesn't help you if you're in a more rural area. If you're in, you know, northwestern New Jersey, you know, traveling an hour and a half to get to a, a center is not really optimal. So there's been this huge deficit of it. And I think what we've been trying to do here, really from Kessler, but through our parent company, Select Medical, is create nationwide comprehensive cancer rehabilitation services. And this is going to be a long journey um, to get there. But already we have 1,600 outpatient therapy facilities, and we're going to tap probably at least a third of those in 45 states to be dedicated cancer rehabilitation centers. Some will just have a physical therapist who has knowledge in cancer rehabilitation and can do most of the neurologic and orthopedic issues. Others will be real centers of excellence where you have a PT, an OT, a physician, an SLP, a neuropsychologist, cognitive rehab people um, working very closely with their local oncologist to provide absolutely the highest possible level of care we can and supporting research efforts um, on the, both internally for the program and uh, on the part of places like uh, the Kessler Foundation. Yeah, I think part of that journey is uh, developing an evidence base for cancer rehabilitation. Yeah. The, so there's no question cancer rehab works. It, it's kind of like asking, you know, and people say, well, how do I know cancer rehab works? It's kind of like asking if oncology works, right? You know, you, you don't ask that question anymore. We know oncology is, generally makes people better. You can show overall survivals for cancer as a whole. You can show that breast cancer has gone from 75% survival to 99% survival with limited stage disease, 9% overall. The real questions come down to very specific things. Is this new agent incrementally better than the last agent? So in cancer rehab, if we look at something like lymphedema, right? We, we know that our therapy efforts for lymphedema help mitigate lymphedema. We can measure before, do our intervention, measure after. If we look at cancer-related fatigue, there are some studies out there showing that exercise, it's actually fairly well studied. You take the patients before you exercise, you can see how they are afterwards, and they're generally better. What we're hoping to get to now is more of that sort of level of evidence, a more of the minutia in the middle, so we can really perfect and refine what we're doing. So for instance, Dr. Yui discussed the central mechanisms 
of of cancer related fatigue well this is something that basically if i'm not mistaken you guys basically figured out <laughs> your lab at cleveland clinic and now how to incorporate new types of exercises new types of activities to make these patients better are there any medications that would be better is somebody who has central fatigue different from somebody who has peripheral fatigue can you be 70 30 one or the other and if so do we change our intervention to maximize the outcome of those sort of patients so those are the types of questions we want to ask and answer now and to do that we need something like you know select medicals revital cancer rehab program that i was discussing where you can have thousands of patients all getting cancer rehab and where we know they're going to get better largely but now we're really trying to perfect the treatments that's the reason breast cancer survival rates went from 70s to to nearly 100 percent for limited stages because we've gotten so good we're way behind them but you know efforts like this will allow us to slowly catch up can you speak to how um, collaborative research can help improve outcome? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this is a great room because <laughs> I'm sitting here with two clinicians. I have another clinician on the phone and then researchers, advocates, coordinators. Um, you know, it, one of the lessons that I've really learned through my re revital experience is that you can't do it alone. You need a multitude of skill sets. I'm not a researcher. I have, I have a lot of studies under my name, but the truth is I'm a terrible researcher, but I'm a reasonable clinician. So being able to you know, partner uh, with the, the real researchers in this room will allow us to really move the science forward. No, you know, and, and I would dare say that the, the researchers in the room you know, don't know how to do the injections uh, that Dr. Khanna over here knows how to do. So it's, it's, it may not even know what some of the problems are associated with these patients. So I think this collaboration is absolutely critical to, to moving the ball down the field. And if sharing your perspective with uh, your fellow clinicians and oncologists will help us achieve that goal. Yeah, oncologists are great because they already have this huge paradigm of research. I mean, they're really good at it. Um, cardiology and oncology are probably two of the places where the research is the most polished. So that also acts as another collaborator for us to be able to try to design our studies as elegantly as they have to answer some of the big questions in our field. All right, so now we have the uh, cancer rehabilitation people on board. We have the oncologists on board. Let's talk about uh, patients. Angela, what's your message to uh, uh, fellow breast cancer survivors about research and the value of participating in this type of clinical research? Well, I mean, I can speak as a patient, but I can also speak as somebody as uh, involved in research myself as my profession. The um, Moving this field forward cannot happen without participants. And, you know, get involved. If you don't have uh, a center near you that has research, ask. And be, be your own advocate. Bring, you know, a family member with you if you don't feel that you're getting it or you're not, um, you know, strong enough to ask the right questions. Bring a family member with you to ask some questions. Don't just assume if you're feeling a certain way, kind of like what I did, you know, I thought, well, I'm getting older, uh, you know, I'm just not, you know, as, uh, as strong as I might have been before, but ask questions and don't just assume that, um, you know, this, th this is not related to the cancer diagnosis because it just very, mal very well may be and there might be a, either a study that you can get involved with or a program that you can get involved with to help. So be your, be your own advocate, that's probably the best advice I can give. Does anyone have anything to add to this uh, very enlightening discussion? 
if I may, I can um, piggyback onto Dr. Stubblefield's comments before. Um, you know, there is a growing body of research and literature supporting the interventions that we as therapists are providing to um, cancer survivors that present us with a number of impairments and functional limitations. I think, you know, to speak more to does this work, we have that growing body of evidence, but we're also getting a lot more recognition and support um, from our professional organizations. The American Physical Therapy Association just recognized cancer rehabilitation as an area of specialist practice for physical therapists, which is a huge step in the right direction in recognizing the need for these type of services and in recognizing um, the specialized training that it takes to um, to have therapists that are well-versed and able to treat this population. So I think we're making very big strides in that direction as well. And then through programs like Revital, matching those specialist practitioners to give optimal access to high-quality cancer rehab services, um, as he mentioned, is really the key. So we're really excited about these opportunities to be involved here. Well, thank you to all the participants from Kessler, from the clinical side and the research side. And we're looking forward in the future to uh, reporting on progress being made in uh, not only in rehabilitative care, but uh, in the forefront of uh, cancer rehabilitation research. For more information about the research of Kessler Foundation, go to www.kesslerfoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.